welcome. It's David and Brent again this week. We're actually recording this on Thursday, the 25th. Thanks for joining us again. A big week. I guess the big story I'm going to start off with, and one that I'm really struggling with, is trade with China. We had a very close call, I guess you would say, a couple days ago. Peter Navarro came out and said it was over. The markets reacted pretty sharply. The futures markets for the stock market and the soybean markets fell pretty quickly. And then, I don't know, it seemed like the White House was running out as fast as they could to, to clarify. But Twitter and Lighthouser, or basically everybody who was an authority on trade, including the president himself, was making a comment to back that out. That was sort of a late night announcement. So I guess my take here is, in addition to that, the White House has doubled down in the last few weeks saying, no, China is on pace. Of course, we wrote the article saying like we're not on pace for any sort of record trade deal or even pre-trade war deal. But the White House has been out doubling down and saying that it's coming and, and they have data that we don't have access to that says it's going well. And so I don't know how to, I know what the data say, right? But, and I know what the White House are saying, and I don't know how to balance those two streams of different pieces of information. We can pretty much just go off of what the data say, and the data suggests that hitting the phase one target is going to be very, very, very difficult this year, given where purchases are at. You know, we can expect soybean purchases will really ramp up when harvest comes around, but soybeans, I I don't see any way you get to phase one trade deal without significant soybean sales to China. It's, it's, so it's really hard to get to those numbers. I'm skeptical that we're going to get there. As I've said all along, the key thing in my mind is making sure we're trading with them. There just seems to be lots of hiccups, though. And, uh, you know, you just look at the numbers and we're below, we're at trade war level purchases, aren't we, David? Yeah, at least for the first four months of the year. So, I mean... Soybeans are 51% of our historic trade. And so as soybeans go, so does the rest of the trade situation. So we've seen sorghum, we've seen meat exports jump a lot, but they're small, they're tiny. And so for us to get back to where we were pre-trade war, and then maybe to a record level above that, the cards aren't stacked in our favor. It's going to have to really ramp up. And I don't think it's realistic to think they're going to hit them. And I'm not saying we can't do a robust soybean trade with them this year. But long ways to get to those numbers. Something I'm going to work on and get posted here for you very shortly is an updated look at some of the exchange rates we've been watching. Man, the last three weeks, the exchange rate story has gone almost the other direction. We were talking about in May how the exchange rate has gotten really strong. And we aren't quite there, but some of the metrics are pretty close to pre-COVID levels. And so... For example, the the dollar is weaker against the Mexican peso, is weaker against the Brazilian real. Again, it's these emerging economies that Brent, you pointed out early on, has been the struggle. And so we're going to provide, I'll provide a quick update to look at that, but keep an eye on exchange rates. Something I want to mention is that the dollar strengthened going into the last recession. And then we actually benefited in 11 and 12 and 13, the good years, the good old days, for actually a pretty weak dollar. And so it's hard to really think about where the dollar is going to go because there's sort of a dynamic element, right? There's the element during the crises and there's after the crises and how everyone approaches that. And they think about risk and risk preferences. Tons of moving parts on it. Very interesting to see that, you know, maybe some good news and we, we need it on the price side for sure. <laughs> it's helpful that now low commodity prices aren't being offset by a strong dollar, right? At least maybe now our low commodity price signal saying buy, so, buy our stuff is getting transmitted to the end buyers. And, and right. that's, that at least is a positive news. 
Brent, one more thing that I have to talk about, and I know you have an issue. Acreage report comes out next week. It's on the 30th Tuesday. We have several questions, three questions, I think, that talk about acreage and asking people to share their expectations. The first one is the probability of the U.S. planting more than 97 million acres, according to this report. Of course, 97 million is where that March WASD number was. The consensus is saying about a 25% chance. I'm a little higher. I'm about a 30% chance of this happening. Brent, where are you at? I think uh, 20%, and I may be way too low on that, thinking about that. Because, you know, I read your article, and uh, I think you make a good point. It's not a guarantee that corn acres are going to shrink. And I am probably too aggressive on that right now. I do think more than likely they'll come down, but I don't think they're going to come down an awful lot under 97 million, maybe a couple million acres. But I would be surprised we drop much more than that. The base rate that I, I've anchored myself to, and I, I think this is a good way of thinking about it, but I'm up to interpretations, is about half the time the USDA between March and the final, not June, but the final, so there's some wiggle room there, about half the time it goes up and half the time it goes down, right? So there's about a 50-50 shot. So if you think about how the price relationship has gone, that's sort of one additional data point. But And then the other data point is that you just don't see a lot of years where we see a trade in corn and soybean acres. So the second question we have is soybean acres exceeding 87 and a half million acres. That'd be about a 4 million acre swing from where we were in the March report. I have a 13% chance of this happening. The consensus is much more aggressive, a 42% consensus. So if uh, here's a chance to get in and update your forecast and make a bold prediction and get a good score. Go big right. or go home. <laughs> I'm at 20%. That would be a big shift in my mind to go up that much. Again, I'm probably too aggressive on the corn question and maybe not enough on the soybeans. We have another question on wheat. Uh, we won't spend a whole lot of time on wheat. Question is, will we fall planting fewer than 45 million acres? You can read the background data. I have about a 50-50 shot of that happening. Consensus is similar. So wheat doesn't have a lot of movement here this year relative to last year, but wheat, of course, has been the big, the big driving force in corn and soybean acres over the last few years. Brent, any insight as to your wheat forecast? No, and I don't watch it that much, but I'm at 50. I mean, I'm kind of right in the middle here on this one, too. So again, another chance to get out and make a bold prediction and <laughs> upset, everyone, right. upset everyone else. So Brent, you want to wrap us up and share some things that you've been thinking about? The thing I'm working on is trying to write some of the ties together, probably about four or five articles that we've written for you guys and gals in the last maybe month. Gotten some yield estimates, yield models in there. Uh, we've got some look at what happens when stocks to use ratios go different levels. We've got David's done a lot of stuff on acreage. Uh, there, there's a ton of stuff in there to try and tie together and say, what are all the facts that we have right now about the corn, particularly the supply situation? And my view on it going in is that we are heading to pretty high stocks to use situation going forward, but I want to dig into it a little more before I kind of come to that conclusion completely. So, but that's what I'm working on. Things change and they can change. I think it's also important to recognize where the, the soybean situation was 13 months ago. And so yeah. things can change, but it's important to 
understand where we are in the context of what we're thinking about. I had a reader reached out and asked me to follow up on some of that on-farm versus off-farm income in the debt structure. We did a couple, several weeks ago. So I'm going to do another look at that with some more breakouts of the data. It was pretty interesting to, to see that. And we had three categories before, and there's actually seven that you can break it out into. So it gets pretty far in the weeds, but it's going to be interesting to keep your eye on. And of course, that exchange rate stuff, we'll provide an update on that. But update those scores because uh, we're going to get a bunch of scores finalized uh, next week. So, all right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We'll catch you guys next week. Until then, thanks for joining us. Thank you.